And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 61 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, January 12th, 2015. Well, the Golden Globes were last night, folks, and it was pretty groundbreaking. Lego did not win, sadly. But for the first time ever, Amazon, yes, that's right, Amazon won an award for the Best Comedy Series and Best Actor, and Netflix won for Best Actor. It's a new world in the world of media and content, that's for sure. And we hope you'll let us be a part of your world with our little podcast of audio content marketing love. And if so, give us a review, won't you? Are we the Golden Globe best comedy duo of your daily commute? Or are we just the bad scripted intros to an unexciting award? Go to iTunes, won't you, and let us know. One little review, maybe it'll be enough to get PNR nominated next year. All right, let's get this show underway. And of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the Golden Globe winner for Best Director of Content Marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? And football is over for both yes, of us. Yes, my condolences. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that, that's all right. That's all right. It's, I'm just going to say it was a catch. It was that's absolutely all, and, and, a catch. And those who know... And those who know, know, and those who don't care, won't It's care. just sad that the last two games that they've played, there's been these questionable calls. And, I, you know, you, all yes. you wanted to do— people will just... say karma. People will say karma. And, and, you know, don't don't tell me the karma thing, people. It's not karma. It's 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 It was a catch. One was clearly arguable. One was—anyway. Well, that's and we that's the issue, right? And then you, you talked about this before when we were—before we made this call here— and it, there was too much evidence that said it was a catch to overturn it. That's the problem. That's right. And that's right. The, that's that's the thing. It's like you don't. If they'd called it a non-catch, I'd be okay, right? But that that the fact that they called it a catch and then overturned it is, yeah. Anyways, what what's up with uh, with Lego not winning yesterday? I don't. I don't know. I and I can't. I can't. For the life of me, so look, I'm an animated movie fan, and I, I mean, I saw uh, How to Train Your Dinosaur too. How to Train I Your Dragon? The first is that one. the one that won? Or, or, dra- or yeah. Dragon, sorry, How to Train Your Dinosaur? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I saw the second one, and I, it wasn't as good, I, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I certainly did, I can't, I think it's maybe a, it just split the vote with the Hollywood for, uh, Foreign Press. I can't understand why it didn't win. Well, that's what they were – I read an article on it, and that's what the article said was because most of Lego's uh, domestic take – well, take was domestic, United States, and Dragons did way much more internationally. Maybe that was the the kicker there. Yeah, and and the Golden Globes tend to – they tend to highlight smaller movies, the the ones that have more international appeal – um, for the obvious reason, of course, but but um, well, maybe not so obvious for those who don't know. The the Hollywood, the Golden Globes are uh, chosen by the Hollywood foreign press, so it's all the you know it's everybody that's not in the press in the U.S. So um, so it's yeah, so that's why it tends to 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 favor independent movies. It's why I'm sure it's why Boyhood got so many awards that it did. The you know, but what you made this mention in the opening, but the fact that Amazon. And Netflix, I mean, it's almost becoming, it's not even a novelty anymore. It'll be, in five or ten years, it's just going to be, there's going to be all kinds of of companies that 
are not the traditional distributors of these movies. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 a fantastic thing to for sure. But it was it was just fascinating to me. I mean, I was sitting on the couch with my wife. We were watching, and I was like, and I actually had to at one point look at her and go, "Have any broadcast television networks won any awards?" And we had to think back, and you know, and CW won a couple, but it wasn't. It, it used to be that the Golden Globes television was basically NBC, ABC, right. CBS. Boom, that was it. And I don't think, other than a couple of awards by CW, I'm not sure any any broad, major broadcast television won any awards last night. It was all cable and and companies like Amazon and Netflix. I mean, the the pendulum has swung. It's crazy, unbelievable. So, anyway, so yeah. not a, not a great weekend for 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 PNR. <laughs> <laughs> no, not- for our, for yeah, for our, for our, you know, for our, what do they call it? The our our favorite horses or our pet sheep or pet cats? Or I don't know what what's that metaphor? I maybe I we should forget. just start because yeah. although I do in have the to, news this I week. Do, well, I, I do have to say, you know, I, we were talking last week about getting off on tangents, and I said this whole show is a tangent. There was a couple comments on Twitter that said we they like our tangents, so that's good. Yeah. Even That's though, good. Well, we could make a whole. We could make a whole show. We could just talk about nothing. Tangent. It could be like Jerry Seinfeld. It's just a show about nothing. It just, right. It gets off. A, we could get into the actually what the math definition of tangent. <laughs> is. Oh God, we should start. No. <laughs> Our first article this week comes to us from a company called People Links, um, and this was an interesting uh, blog post that uh, both Joe and I. Uh, were made alert to, and the title of it is B2B Content Marketing a Failure. Uh, the guy who wrote it, Michael Idenopoulos, uh, it was the CMO of PeopleLinks, writes in his blog post that he's having a crisis of faith in content marketing, a crisis of faith, no doubt. Um, and it all sounded so good, he says, you start a blog, people start to read it, they give you contact information, and bang, your sales team has a warm lead. And this is his definition of content marketing, I guess. He says his experience has been different, and he goes on. I won't spoil the entire blog post, but he basically goes on to talk about how content is really meant in the B2B setting to be a nurturing function for the sales process, and it should be included all the way through, and that he calls this content selling. Um, what did you think about this? The more I read these articles, the more you just get the lens definition of what content is for that particular person right so if you're in inbound marketing you you think that content marketing content creation is all this top of the funnel stuff and if you're in sales enablement you think that it should be used for sales enablement and right seo seo yeah you're talking about seo you hey this is all for you know long tail organic keywords whatever the case is and it's all those things and that's what you and I talk about all the time. It's it's the first question is well, what's your goal? What do you? What's the business problem that you're trying <laughs> you're trying to solve here? And then how can help you? It, first of all, can content help you? And then you know if it can, how is it going to do that job? And this is sort of what this article reminds me of, where they where we go through and it's this whole thing. And maybe it is true. Maybe most people think that content marketing is all about this top of the funnel thing, and that it should be easy. It's not easy. It's it's completely hard to do. And you have to do it consistently and you have to get and that I guess that's what I did like about this article is that he says, you know, you have to be consistent with it. You have to focus on a niche that you really have a different story to tell. So that's what I did like about it. But I, I guess I'm with you with I don't know if we need another name. Uh 
I, I don't. I don't. You're calling lead, I don't, basically don't it's lead. Nur, you know, content used for nurturing, and he's calling it content selling. Is that what? Is that what yeah. you got from it? Uh, that that's what that's what I'm getting from it. Yeah, this is as he says at the very end. This is content selling. Um, you know, and he does it in that voice too. And <laughs> you know, to me, I I, I look at this and I and, and you know, and, and like you, I, I read many of these articles, and it does. It, I think you said it really well, where you say basically it is the lens by which they look at content marketing through. And, you know, whether it's SEO or whether it's inbound marketing or whether it's even customer loyalty or whether it's lead nurturing or it's B2B versus B2C or, you know, whatever it is, I don't think, you know, I I certainly know we have screamed it till we're blue in the face that content marketing encompasses the entire funnel. I mean, we wrote it in our book. We we've talked about it in the, on the blog. We've said it in every single masterclass we've ever done. I, every webinar I've ever done. I I introduce it with it is the entirety of the customer journey wherever your goal happens to be to enhance or influence that consumer behavior using content. Mm-hmm. So w- what he says throughout the blog post where he talks about how. You have to deliver great content to salespeople to nurture a lead, and it has to be valuable, and it has to, you know, marketing is changing from player to coach and working. I, I'm down with all of that. I'm just not sure why we have to – why – so many articles I read these days where it says, you know, there was one that came out, you know, uh, uh, just last week or the week before, you know, is content marketing good for everybody? And, you know, some people are going, no, it's not good for everybody because, you know, some people won't do it well. Well, that's 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 answering the wrong question. Just because we don't do it well doesn't mean the approach isn't effective yeah. for everyone. And that's that's the it's like it, one, we have to have the ability to get better at it. You know, it's not like we can go, ooh, there's this content marketing thing out there. It's really hard. Only really talented people can do that. So that means it's off limits for my company. no. We have to be able to go do it and do it badly at first so that we get better at it. And then two, it's not just the top of the funnel that we're solving for here. It is the entirety of that customer. We'll talk about this in just a minute. It is the entirety of the customer experience. That's where content plays its most important role. And it and it to me it's 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 this idea that we've we've got to get over that you know, for marketing now encompasses more broadly, even bigger than content marketing, marketing encompasses a much broader uh, uh, aspect of the entire business. And so content by its definition is going to play a bigger role in the entirety of the business. And again, you and I have said, you know, I don't care what you call it. Ultimately, if it's if content selling works for you, great, go do it. But just don't misunderstand that content marketing does encompass the entire uh, entirety of the customer experience with well, the brand. goals yeah, that you cannot you have to look at like i think you maybe you were talking about that Rand fishkin article that you wrote in, yeah. on content marketing institute which is a fantastic article and, and Rand article. talks about Wonderful it from article. the perspective his lens which is search engine yeah. optimization and he talks about basically gave the recommendation of creating less content in certain situations great, great advice yeah. great advice. And, and it is great advice in some situations Right. Now, for search, for long tail search, he has a great point and he's absolutely true. It's almost like uh, we talked about it last week with subscriber burn. It's like you've got to make sure that if you're putting content out there, it gets engaged in. Or if you put more and more content out there, it's going to hurt your overall content exposure because who, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Google, they're going to show it less because of less engagement. 
So that's so right. Totally get that, right? But if you are communicating to an audience, let's say, and they're getting your email newsletter, and you're communicating to them on a consistent basis, and then you just say, oh, "I'm not going to publish now because Rand or whoever says no." No, that's a different. <laughs> that's a different goal. That's, that's right. That's not an SEO goal. That's is I'm I'm trying to to get attention from these people and have these people do something that have subscribed to my stuff and make an impression on them, hopefully a positive one. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, and the only thing, you know, and, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started the show, but the only thing that I would differ a little bit with what Rand says is, and you make a great point, he's looking at it in this article, you know, and I and, and you and I even talked about this. I don't think that he would necessarily disagree with what I'm about to say, but as we look at it through that SEO lens, yes, it, it, that is great advice. But when he says that content marketing may not be appropriate for everyone because if you don't feel like you can break through the noise, in other words, if you don't feel like you can be that 1% or 5% that breaks through yep. the noise, you shouldn't do it. That's where I disagree because if my goal is customer That's loyalty right. and I have a finite known audience, in other words, my 1,000 customers that I can deliver value to through content, that is a content marketing goal that is worth uh, doing, and I know that audience, and I know that I can create content that breaks through the noise because, quite frankly, the only noise I have to break through is my own. I don't, and uh, it's such a great yeah. point. I don't know how many episodes we've talked about this, but I'm st- I'm still uh, flummoxed. Is flummoxed still a word? Can I use that? Flummoxed. It's yeah, flummoxed. I'm, st- I'm I'm flummoxed at the. F- You're flummoxed at the shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe um, <laughs> the only the, the issue is is that. This historically has been a customer loyalty driven practice area. Right. And it right. has gotten switched to a top of the funnel. When honestly, if you're looking at low hanging fruit, if somebody comes to us and say, hey, I, I want to dabble in this, I want to try this, I want to see if it works, I think the first thing you and I would probably say is, well, who are your current customers and how can we help them become better customers? That's, that's right. And that, that's, that's a customer exactly loyalty right. initiative. But every article that's out there talks about the top of the funnel stuff, and it just blows my mind. Yeah, right. And it doesn't have to be loyalty either, right? It could be cross-sell, upsell. I mean, some of the, some of the biggest content marketing initiatives I've helped work through for big brands has nothing to do with top of the funnel. It's basically helping big enterprises educate customers that are within the funnel, yeah. getting back to the, even the point of this article – helping them understand the entirety of what the business has to offer because so many big enterprises offer, you know, 60,000 different SKUs and products that they need to educate, you know, as they work through customers through a, you know, through a longer sales process, especially in B2B, that they need to be educated for cross-sell and upsell opportunities. So it is about creating a better customer at the end of the day by giving them thought leadership or education or how-to or utility or, you know, whatever metaphor you like the best about how to deliver that value and educate that customer, make them better. And that has nothing to do with SEO. It has nothing to do with lead generation. It has nothing to do with top of the funnel brand awareness. It has everything to do with about delivering value to an audience that we really understand. I I think it's called content selling. (laughs) Yes. Well, fine. You know what I mean? I I don't care. You just put that argument to bed. Yeah. That's it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's move on, shall we? Scott Brinker, our good friend Scott Brinker, um, chief marketing technologist extraordinaire. Um, you can always see his stuff at Chief Martech. Has released today breaking news. Here we go today as we record this. We actually got a little bit of a heads up uh, prior to this just to be able to review it. Um, his new 
landscape, his technology landscape for 2015, and cue dramatic music, it has doubled in size in the Which last Which I didn't year. think was possible to get on a one-sheeter, by know, the way. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> we, we, sent him an, we sent him an email over the thing, your poor you know, designer that had to sit there with all those logos. Anyway, the super graphic now... It's got 1,876, that's right, folks, 1,876 vendors represented across 43 categories. Um, As he says, to actually read it, you're going to need a high-res version. Be prepared to zoom and scroll and zoom and scroll and zoom and scroll. Um, I want to get your take on this, but he asks a few or posits a few ideas here. Um, And one of them is that marketing has now unquestionably become a technology-powered discipline. So what what did you think, first of all, of the graphic and and what he says in his uh, sort of introductory post here? This, this, first of all, is a feat. Hats off to Scott because this is a feat that is so difficult to do. A huge accomplishment. Um, And and it it proves his point, right? This is just crazy and and we need help. (laughs) Like. Yeah, and exactly. It's, what's interesting at the same time, and you and I, uh, we received an email from our good friend uh, Carlos Abler at uh, 3M talking about yep. vendor assignments. And he says there's not enough uh, there's not enough emphasis in education put around the fact that a lot of enterprises just choose vendors poorly. Well, how yeah. hard is it to choose <laughs> between all these vendors? I mean, each one of these, how many categories are there? Like 30 categories? 43. There's 43, 43 categories. categories. And then what? On average, there's probably, I don't know, 50 to 75 in each of these, depending. Well, I guess you can do the math. So yeah. A little less than 50. That's unbelievable. I don't even know how to keep track yeah. of this stuff. It's 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 impossible, quite frankly. And because, you know, you start looking at any one category and then you start thinking, well, this vendor could actually be in another category as well. You know, I mean, you and I have talked about and we've had many discussions um, of late. Uh, about, you know, is there really even a content marketing category, right? Because truly any technology could be considered a content marketing technology. Yes. Any any technology that helps you create content could theoretically be considered a con- Microsoft Word. I write a blog post in Microsoft Word, content marketing. Mm-hmm. I create a deck in PowerPoint, content marketing. I send an email using exact target or constant contact or Outlook, content marketing. And so... So and he's got and he you know and he we've talked to Scott about this that you know but it really the category of content marketing is a nice one just to be able to draw a big black marker and say okay at least we have a bucket for some of these vendors that help facilitate that process so there's nothing wrong yeah with that, but certainly. it's it's a tough one I mean even looking at but to, to your point first of all to your point a lot of our partners and sponsors they're in all these categories content Absolutely. marketing maybe. Maybe the majority are in the content marketing, but you can make cases in all the other ones. I see them all over the place. The other thing is if you look at the content marketing category, all these people do such different things. You have, yeah. You know, you have Acrolinks on there who's, you know, translation, localization. They're looking at a lot That's of right. different things there. You've got, um, you know, Percolate, which does much different things than Kapost, uh, which does different things. And you've got Copyblogger on there. Um and right. I mean, that's not even the brand that they're using, which is Rainmaker. So it's just <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's crazy. I, so what's it the is big, crazy. What's the big takeaway in your opinion for for brands? To well, look at this? you know, I think so. <clears throat> he says in his blog post, which I think is 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 really the important point here. 
um, you know, as he says, and I'm quoting him now where in, this blog, in his post where he introduces, he says, the real challenge is changing how firms think and behave in this hyper-connected, always-on, customer-controlled digital world. The nature of marketing has exploded, and this is he has in bold, the nature of marketing has exploded from an ancillary communications function to the grand central station of customer experience. I could not have said that better or agree with that more wholeheartedly my, if I had said it. And that, I think, is the main point of all of this, is that as marketing becomes more strategic, more broadly, even going back to our just our previous discussion, even more broadly and more you know than than just content marketing, as marketing as a function becomes more strategic in the business and technology starts to power it, what it what it's really powering, the opportunity that it really has to power, is the entirety of the customer experience. And as he says, the bar for delivering great customer experiences is rising rapidly, and so. This gets to right what we were talking about just five minutes ago, and it gets to this topic as well, which is it's not about whether we don't get good at it or we do do get at it. That's not the choice. The choice is we better get good at it, and we better get good at it fast. And and so whether you're addressing the top, the middle, the bottom, the you know whatever part of the funnel you're addressing with 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 content and technology to be able to deliver a better customer experience you got to get better at it you, and and that means trying new things that means being innovative but it also means you know coming up with a as we've discovered in our own research developing a cohesive documented and well followed strategy that helps the business get there and this is a to me this is just a great tool and again hats off to him for creating this tool for marketers to start to understand that landscape and what's possible right identifying what's what's even possible out there do you agree about the multi- multitude of positions being created around this marketing technology role? Do you see that happening in the large brands that you're working with? I see some of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I mean, and Scott and I have talked about this. We've, you know, we've debated a little bit about this. We've talked about this. We agree on most of it, which is, <clears throat> do, you know, I. I you you see varying degrees of this in in larger enterprises. So I see everything from changing the entirety of the way that the marketing function works. So you look at and you know Carla Johnson and I talk about this in our new book where you look at somebody like Eduardo Conrado, right? Who whose title is Vice President. I, I'm going to get his title wrong. Senior Vice President of Marketing and IT. Yep. So there's a guy who's leading both marketing and technology functions in a big business for Motorola Solutions. Big business, right? You have somebody like Julie Fleischer at Kraft who is focused on – and her title is um, – and I'm, I'm going to botch her title as well. But it's something like Senior Director of Content and Data where her job is to use data and technology to facilitate a better customer experience and use content strategically. So you see that happening. Where so, so both of those people have on their team people who really understand deeply the technology that's out there and marketing people who can make the content really work. And by the way, content strategy people who know how to facilitate that relationship and make content intelligent across all of the different channels that it's being how, – how about that for working that in? <laughs> and, you know – and but then I also see marketing technology people in agencies. I see marketing technology people in big companies where they're acting as liaison between the uh, the IT group or technology group and the marketing teams. And I see those teams acting as sort of 
you know, service or program management type of uh, roles, which are helping facilitate that process and get better technology. So I see it expressed in a lot of different ways, but I do definitely see the role of marketing technologist as, a, as an important well, one. Well, to your point about creating the strategy and then understanding where, where we're going to focus and then where we need technology to assist us in that strategy and whether that's coming, I mean, a lot of cases that means getting IT involved or in some cases it's getting those people on your team up to speed with that technology. And then and what Scott's, I think, making a case for is this marketing technologist role that marketers might actually bring on to their organization or actually subsume from IT that play this that's kind right. of middle referee kind of area. But yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, boy, what the thing that, that struck out at me from what he was telling us in the email that he sent over was that consolidation, this whole idea where startups are out, startups and creators are outpacing what's going on in acquisition and the failure of these startups, which means there is so many more. I'm just trying to anticipate with this continuing to happen where acquisition and failure is not even coming close to the number of startups. We're going to see 4,000 of these next year. I mean, that's right. That's right. It's not slowing down. It's, Speak, yeah. Speaking of technology, did you have like a Model T startup behind you? Uh, or, you know uh, what? <laughs> I have to. Yeah, I was. I was trying to speak loud so you could, you couldn't hear. We're getting a lot of snow right now in Cleveland, and when oh, no. when there's enough snow that gets on my air conditioner in the office, it starts making these dings, and it, it sounds like it's actually going to start. Yeah, it's one of the benefits of living in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of quirky, but we'll oh. There you go. There you go. Well, it sounded a little bit like a Model T, you know, <laughs> cranking up. You know, it's that's the that's the technology engine there of the future go, revving absolutely. up. All right, moving on to our next story here. This comes to us courtesy of the IAB. Um, what happens if the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, provides native advertising guidance? Um, so this came out uh, just last week, in fact, um, and as the IAB says, we start the new year by addressing a question that's on many people's minds in the digital industry. Will the FTC provide guidance on native advertising in 2015? And if so, what might we expect? And so she sets, uh, sat down with uh, a guy by the name of Mike Zanels, who's the EVP of Public Policy and General Counsel for the IAB's Washington, D.C. office. And she did an interview, and of course, we'll put the link in the show notes to the full interview here. Um, but I wanted to get your take, Joe, on this because, you know, obviously we talk a lot about native advertising on the show, and we talk about the pros and the cons, and and what was your take on sort of the, you know, the his take on, you know, whether the FTC is going to actually come out with some guidelines or, or rules or anything like that? Yeah, so it sounds like... If they were wait, if we're waiting on some kind of guidance, that that would just be indicative of possibly regulation in the future. So that's what. So there's no regulation to come that we can gather from this article. But if they no, do, do give, yeah, if they do give us some kind of guidance as to it, that might indicate that they're going to do something. So the there's this is my question. So we really don't know. We know that the FTC is concerned about right. it. I think that what the article says it's pro- the headline of the article should be we don't we know don't know what we, what we don't, don't know. know but i think that what what the um the, the iab is trying to say is hey let's just be proactive let's make sure right. that and they're they have the recommended you know we we've been involved with the iab on their native advertising playbook and it basically the, the disclosure says to use language that conveys that it is advertising and it's been paid for and that that language is large enough uh, and visible enough for a consumer to see it 
So kind of a no-brainer stuff. I think most publishers, you know, they use that already. It's not a big deal. <laughs> My favorite part of that, though, is that at the bottom it says, simply put, Regardless of context, a reasonable consumer, that's my favorite part, a reasonable consumer should be able to distinguish between the fact that it's paid advertising and that it's publisher editorial content. <laughs> <laughs> it's all print. And, and at, first of all, I go, have you met consumers recently? Or, have you met any reasonable ones? You know, so. Yeah, where are these consumers? Because we would like to where find them. Where are these them? reasonable consumers? We would like to right? find them, I mean, grow them. Um, yeah. The, Here's my question for you that I was asking before, uh, before we started this whole broadcast here. What if, what if the FTC did say, say, put down some kind of regulations around this? What does it mean for fully paid branded sites like a homemade simple from Procter and Gamble or a Craft Recipes that are basically all funded? The whole everything's funded. Right. Every piece of content right. on the site is funded. So, what? What do you? What? That's the problem here. If FTC gets involved, because you can't just do it on native ads, because you right. could say, well, anything that's paid for that has an editorial feel to it. Well, that's that's shoot. That's the majority of content on the web. They, there's no way they can sure. go there, right? Am I? I? I think so. I mean, because it's, I mean, really, what you're asking is how many you know how many pebbles in a pile before you or before you have a pile right you know is it one is it two is it three is it five you know is like how you know where do you draw that line in other words is there a giant red banner that appears across the scope of the new york times that says by the way every article that you will read in this newspaper is funded in some way by an advertiser you know and it's it's the question is at where what, at what point do you do you draw that line cuz i my my initial gut reaction is no you wouldn't because you're there's no if it's all funded by the brand there's no you know assuming there is some uh some level of you know powered by or whatever at the bottom or the top like you know you think of cmo.com where it's you know pretty clear in their logo that it's powered by adobe is that enough I, you know for and this but what gets does back that to mean the anymore? reason well, but I know, but right, but it gets to reasonable consumer, right? Is if I go look at CMO.com and is it reasonable to assume that I can I can gather that it's sponsored, that the entirety of that site is sponsored and funded by so here, Adobe? Okay, I, here's a weird question for you. I think it is, but but you start getting into like what is and what is, you know, maybe. I know, but so here's the last. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm going to stop all over this. Yeah. Uh, but here's yeah. the here's my another example. Let's just take our good friends at the Wall Street Journal. Let's say that they do an article on wine and wine connoisseurs. And they're right. writing it. And it's it's not paid for at all, not sponsored. But WSJ has right. a wine club where they might benefit if people become more educated on wine that they might actually want to get. Or maybe, God forbid, there's an ad there that says, if you really like this piece, maybe sign up for the wine club. Hey, what's the difference? Right. No, it's a great it's a great point. I mean, you start, you know, I mean there are there are there are examples of this already in the social media world um where, you know, you've got, you know, varying degrees of sort of links that you could, you know, would they have in other words, would they have to put some sort of disclosure in the link to uh, exactly, the wine club yeah. within that article? Oh, you by know, the so way, we have really, a wine club, so just that's you know, our disclaimer. Some interstitial that right, some interstitial that says, you know, if, when you click on the link, a pop up comes up and says, "By the way, 
this is going to something that is fun. You know, I mean, so there's good. You the know what? Here, your question is it, it may complicate things quite a bit, sh- but, I, but I don't think it's ever going to get there. If there was a committee that was in New York, that if there was some kind of penalty that they could go to New York and see if there was a foul and whether it's right or wrong, just like the NFL does, that would fix it. <laughs> <laughs> In real time? In real time. Yeah. Hey. In real time. We got a penalty. Yeah. This one. Because it's working really well for the NFL right about now. (laughs) (laughs) This one is not reasonable. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I, I guess my hope is, as we close this one out, is that that publishers and brands work together. Uh, They... They do what what needs to be done, at least in the traditional mindset of what is a media brand and what is not. That's the problem is it's all kind of um, it's all kind of the same thing today so that the FTC doesn't have to get involved, because if they do get involved and they have a regulation, this is going to go way beyond native advertising and it's going to be a problem. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the tendency here is going to want to to if they go anywhere, it's going to be to want to stretch it beyond probably the scope of what they should stretch it to. And so it's going to hit the foundation. So I think the, the advice is good. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, exactly. I think the I think the advice here that the IAB gives good is like you know, okay, guys, let's get good at this before they screw it exactly. up for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, moving on to our uh, last article of our show here, and this comes to us courtesy of uh, Jason Calacanis. Um, and Jason, I've known, I've, I've known of Jason, and I've known Jason actually for gosh, almost fifteen years now, um, going way, way, way back. And Jason has certainly done well by himself as a serial entrepreneur, an angel investor, podcaster, um, and writer, of course. And he writes on his blog this last week um, about. It's an article about Twitter, um, and it's why firing Dick Costolo from Twitter would be a huge mistake, he thinks. And he goes through a number of points um, that sort of support his position about why firing that guy would be would be a mistake. But within that, there's some fan, just some wonderful, insightful stuff article. about video and pod. Yeah, it's just a wonderful article about podcasting and video and numbers and how much revenue and and. It's just, I mean, it's a real open the kimono kind of look into how his business works from a video perspective. And I just thought it was really, really interesting. What did you think? Well, obviously, I shot this over to you. And I was yeah. amazed at the insight in this article. And there's a couple things that you, you just don't realize. The, he's been behind the scenes and working behind the scenes with, with Twitter's new video product, which will be a native video, which I didn't even know it existed. I knew it. I, I knew I, it existed, um, but uh, but I didn't think it. I didn't think about it. It could have the possible impact that Jason thinks it's going to have, and and what. And after reading it, I would agree. Oh my yeah. gosh! And basically, the whole idea behind this is is that there's a couple things, right? That we know that there's a lot of influential people that create video content on YouTube. And I didn't know what the revenue split was, but basically he says there's a there's a 55-45 revenue split. I, and I think that means that uh, who who gets – I think that you, you get 55% and YouTube gets 45%. That's correct. That's, correct. that's my understanding. That's if, my you're, understanding. if you're selling yeah. advertising as part of your, your videos. He says that that's, right. that's just way too high. That's a problem. So right. that's one thing is, is that some – The rent is too damn high. <laughs> that's exactly right. Rent's too high. <laughs> And Jason's saying, hey, look, we got to go somewhere else with it. The other thing he talks about is the majority of celebrities, influencers, journalists, whatever you want to call them, almost every one of them have a pretty robust presence on Twitter. 
And he says at the same right. time, hardly any of those people have a presence at all on YouTube, which if you think about it, he's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And he's saying, how hard would it then to be for those celebrities, influencers to start um, sending all the, creating all their videos, sending all their video out. And I love it. And I want to get your take on this when he goes into what he thinks the brands would do. So especially from a customer service standpoint, like, oh, hey, we're oh, sorry, Aunt Jason, oh you had God. a great, yeah, uh, bad experience with this on the Wi-Fi system. You know, check out this video embedded right there, native, plays automatically into Twitter and then you don't even have to take them off of there to get more video. You, you don't have to send them to YouTube. You don't have to link them there. You could, I could see video really taking off. It seems that way. Do you buy into that? It's, I totally buy into that. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, so I won't name the client, but there was a client that we did some work with that had quite literally and hadn't, set the, hadn't gone to market with this yet, but had set up the capability and were and, were and are, I haven't spent a while since I've talked to them, but were and are, I'll assume, in basically building up the capability to produce personalized videos that they were going to then use as question, you know, like in other words, if you tweeted out a question to them and they're in the real estate business um, about getting loans and about getting mortgages and all that kind of stuff. And so the idea was going to be any question you would pose to them, they wouldn't send you an email or they wouldn't send you a tweet or they wouldn't send you a Facebook post. They would send you a video of an expert answering that question. And the video might, the answer might be 15 seconds long or it might be 20. And they had a television studio where they were literally going to have it 20, basically running, not 24 seven, but certainly during business hours where, and they would have their little experts there. And every time they got a question, they would just run over, shoot the answer and then post it yeah. in real time. And I can definitely see companies doing this and and especially you know whether it's influencers or whether it's brands basically creating you know we saw it sort of happen with the whole idea behind the the uh, the old spice guy with the you know doing yep. that you know sort of social response thing through video but i could absolutely tie this into twitter and i think you've really got something really well, special think- there from a from a customer service standpoint and by the way this supports my the thing that I people laughed at me at, but we'll see if I'm, you know, you can continue to laugh at me that Google could buy Twitter at some point because now you can see why they would want to. Well, think about absolutely. Well, think about this too. Think about how the conversations that you have on YouTube are inane. Like there's trolls on there. You, I mean, nobody. Right. You can't even keep exactly. track of who's commenting on YouTube, but you do on and brands really do care about it on Twitter. So just think about Ezra, they the, really, yeah, the yeah. additional content that's going through Twitter and actually being able to have a conversation with people that are actually com- <laughs> commenting back instead of uh, what they're doing on YouTube. So I think that right away is it's more appealing for brands because you don't want to get involved in conversations on YouTube. It's a losing battle. You just let them go. No. Oh, exactly. Right? But you wouldn't, <laughs> exactly. I don't think you would do that on Twitter. Well, you don't want to get involved in some conversations on Twitter either. Well, you that's let true. those go too. I've learned that's that the true. But I'm wondering sure. too. I mean, it's hard to argue in 140 characters. There's, there, that's, <laughs> you just send them, that is, just send them yeah. another video. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm totally bought it. I'm so interested to, to see this. I mean, I, by the way, I mean, I, disclaimer, I own stock in both Google and Twitter. Uh, but this makes me, you know, think about tw- what Twitter, tw- you know, everybody's been down on Twitter. All oh, their user growth is dying, whatever. But 
you know, Jason says through this that he thinks that as soon as this video product is out, they're going to what? He says, watch them to double users in the next year and a half and double the time on site and all this kind of stuff. And well, that gets right to my yeah. That I mean, I'll talk about a little bit about this in my in my uh, in my raving here in a bit. But yeah, that's exactly right. Right? I mean that. I mean that is changing the game is what it will take because you know Twitter by inherently will will have to sort of plateau because it will run its course right of what you can do and what you you know what you want to do but if they can introduce something like video in into the into the game here it it just it's a complete game changer for the platform let's see it i'm ready yeah I'm ready. absolutely well speaking of game changing and platforms we have a sponsor to talk about Special, special thanks again to our wonderful friends at Acrolinks for sponsoring this episode of This Old Marketing. The Acrolinks platform helps the world's most recognized brands create more engaging, more readable, and more enjoyable content. And most people don't even know software like this exists. And I would agree with that. Absolutely. I don't think most people I, realize I, some of the things I, you can I do. I know that for a fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I talk to people about what Acrolinks does and they go, there's software that can do that? It's like, yeah, there really Well, especially is. as you're trying to pick them out from 1,876 examples. It's kind of <laughs> exactly. tough. That's why you need to stand out and sponsor <laughs> right. this old marketing. Right. And Acrolinks does that. Their new ebook called Speak With One Voice, answers critical questions about how you can make your content stand out and how to create a unique advantage in the content economy. And if you're struggling with this, please download this. It's a really helpful guide. You can register for it at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Acrolinks2. That's Acrolinks with an X. Bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Acrolinks2. Thank you so much to our friends at Acrolinks uh, for, for staying with us. They've been so supportive of us and continue to be uh, throughout all the stuff that we do, especially this old marketing. So wonderful, wonderful stuff. And check them out when you can. Go educate yourself, folks. If you want to know about that global stuff, go educate. It's a great education into into how into how that, even if that's not part of your business today, it will be at some point. So go educate yourself and get ahead of the game. Well, we're all that. global companies. We're like it or not. You're a global yeah. company because you can be reached on the web. So got to... it's the flat earth, Joe. It's the flat earth. <laughs> It's the flat earth, Joe. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. It's all right. Anyway, we're moving on to our favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that is giving us a lot of heartburn or something we want to show a little bit of smoochy love toward. And I have this old marketing this you week. Do. Um, I have been remit, remiss in terms of uh, uh, being having this old market, but I have one this week. So I'm going first. Do it. Let's see it. Um, what you got? This comes from Medium.com, which, by the way, if you haven't checked out Medium, it's a great site. Um, it, it's there's some really, really great content there. It's it's becoming a go-to for me in terms of uh, the, the the kind of content I want to consume. And uh, also, big hat tip here to uh, our, uh, uh, our our leader at CCO, Claire McDermott, who is. Uh, uh, who, who tipped me off to this article, actually, from Ev Williams, of course, of Twitter fame, um, who is now the CEO, of course, of Medium. And the article here is uh, at, it's called A Mile Wide and Inch Deep. 
And this is a rave, by the way. I'm just, I'm just absolutely in love with this article. There is, I mean, this is sort of like a, a master class in a thousand words. It's just, it's really, really great. If you want to think about new ways to think about measurement, this is a great one there. He basically starts off in a really smart and, and short way by saying he was recently quoted as he didn't give a crap, basically, if Instagram had more users than Twitter. And if you read the article that he links there, he says there's a big if. Um, and, he, and, the, and then he goes on to quote him, himself where he says, uh, you know, he doesn't give a crap if Instagram has more people looking at pretty pictures if the conversations on Twitter are more meaningful. And that goes right to just what we were talking about three minutes ago, right, which is what is actually happening on the platform is more important than the number of users on the platform. That is such an important lesson for brand marketers and for marketers in general. This gets right to – I in in the masterclass I teach and in the conversations I have with clients, I, I, I use this line all the time. You do not have to be big. You have to be remarkable, which is a short way of saying you're, it, the advantage that you have over media companies, true media companies, is that you don't have to gather eyeballs for eyeballs' sake. You have to gather attention only from those customers that mean something to you. So if you can get a 1,000 people who really care, that's as far as you need to go. You don't have to go get a million people because you're not trying to sell advertisers. You're just trying to deliver value through content to that. And that's what he's getting at here with this. I don't care if there's more people on Instagram looking at pretty pictures. The conversations that are happening on Twitter with the users that are there are more meaningful and et cetera, et cetera. And, and his, he then couches it and says, I'm, I may be trivializing what Instagram is to many people. It could be beautiful, uh, you know, enjoyment of art as well as human connection. And I won't spoil the whole post, but you should definitely go read it. But basically at the very end of it, and something that I just truly, truly love what he says is this idea that we have to get beyond sort of single metrics as a, as a way of measuring our success, he talks about, you know, in the early days of Google, he remembers it was all about saving time. And in fact, it was the emphasis was on how little people's time. And at medium.com, it's about how much more time people spend on this site. And it's not about just clicks, or it's not just about visitors, or it's not just about, you know, one particular metric or another. It's about how the business in whole measures success. And he closes it out, and I'll just leave you with this just because it's such a great article. He says, numbers are important. Number of users are important. So are a lot of other things. Different services create value in different ways. Trust your gut as much or more than the numbers. Figure out what matters and build something good. I mean, to me, that is just such a great philosophy to approach measurement. You know, it's not a lot of template about what measurement should be and what metrics we should measure and all that stuff. But it's a great, if we can go in with that philosophy, we can solve the measurement problem. And and that is my rave for I love that last paragraph that you read. Oh, it's, it's what's interesting is I just talked to a senior marketer who's launching they've launched a print magazine, but the people in the organization want them to move to a tablet version. And I said, Well, why is that? And he said, Because they can actually measure something. They can actually, you know, measure an open or a click or an email to a to a open or whatever. And that's what I told him. I said, just because it's hard to measure what you're doing in print is not, is not the reason right. to move it. Right. Just because it's hard. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's what we're dealing with right now. I mean, that's... 
I had a, I had a CEO say to me, quite literally say to me, I will never advertise content using Google ads. And I said, why not? And he said, because the only way you can measure the efficacy of Google ads is if I have a direct call to action to a sales guy. That's not marketing. That's insanity. That's, 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 ah, now I get off. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me, yeah, that's exactly it. So I have, I have a rave and a, and a little rant, but I love a little little bit bit of a rant. rant. So yesterday I'm watching the Cowboys play with my son. Adam and we were in the the McDonald's commercial came up. It's a minute long commercial for science. Did you see the commercial? I've seen it. Yeah, I've I've seen it. It's that's the it's first time delightful. we saw it. So we were like, it's yeah. funny because we were talking and then the the commercial came out and we just stopped and we were watching it. It's a beautiful commercial if you haven't seen it. It's beautiful. Where it yeah. basically takes images. There's some great music in the background and it takes images of the different signage that different McDonald's across the world had up, like you know. Pray for veterans, or you know, say from the nine one one attacks, or whatever the case is, and goes right. through a whole bunch of them, and then it was a sixty second ad, and then it went to for more for the story behind the signs, go to the Tumblr page. So first of all, I just love the ad. I mean, I just thought it was it was. I mean, I, I was I got a little emotional about it. It was great. It actually spurred a wonderful conversation with my son and I because he thought it was fantastic as well. So obviously hit the mark from the emotional side that McDonald's was going for. But then, of course, I'm like, well, I want, I want to hear the story behind the signs. I couldn't remember that it was a Tumblr. I couldn't remember what the site name was. So I started to search for it. McDonald's, signs, st- uh, uh, story behind the signs. I, I couldn't find it, Robert. I couldn't find it anywhere. Wow. Anywhere. Wow. It was so tough for me to find it. And so I'm thinking... I'm sure there's a lot of paid behind this. Could they not put oh. a little bit of paid in in Google search so you could find that? Could you go now? I I haven't done this yet, but could you go to McDonald's.com and find it that way? I Was don't know. Like big... Can we do it right now? Go do, yeah, it, right do now. it right now. Yeah, McDonald's.com. Go to Mc. Let's see if it comes up. Yes, it's right on the homepage. So that's fantastic. All right. Well, that's so good. that's great. That's fantastic. So I, I thank you. I didn't for some reason it's that weird. I didn't even I never even thought of going I just go to Google and I'm trying to Well, find that gets back to that gets back to your rant from last week about Allstate, right? And how they that, how they missed the opportunity to connect it to other customer experiences by by only having it in a little microsite that wasn't so connected ha- you to know, anything else. So you're right. So hats off to them for thinking about this part and doing the stories behind the stories and then so I actually did find it finally and I found it through an ad age article. That talked about it, and then I found out that there was a Tumblr, and then I went, you know, and then I, well, I co-watched the video, and there it was at the end about the Tumblr. And then it did; it does have some nice little stories behind some of the signs. I guess I expected a just, little bit more. Well, just to be clear, by the way, I just as we were, as you were talking, I clicked into it. The only thing that's there is the TV ad. Oh, is that it? So I, it's not yeah, a link can't. to the Tumblr. It, well, I'm sure the Tumblr it appears at the end. end I didn't play the whole thing because I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to screw up uh, the audio here on the podcast but yeah it's it's yeah it's i we'll see you know i don't i, I couldn't find a link to the tumblr i only found a, a link to the video so it's interesting right it's like last week when we talked about Allstate, where there was no integration at all with any kind of ongoing collection data collection storytelling whatever there is something here they do have yeah. a, that, a very cool tumblr page they've got some commentary on there um i would i guess i was just looking for a little bit more on Getting, I mean, 
how do you get how do you keep people involved in that storyline? And that's right. I, I guess I just wanted a little bit more, but I love the I love the whole idea of it. And I guess that's just you know that's why this is so hard. <clears throat> I mean, they put this amazing a minute video together, but then if you think about all the other opportunities there are to create engagement with your customers in some way, you just gotta man. You need you need troops of people to really think about some of these things. Absolutely. Absolutely you do. That's a good one. I really like that. All right. This old marketing this week. This this is a I, – I can't believe we haven't can't covered this either. one before. Yeah. Um, so I, I get a gift from my sister every year. She sends at the end of uh, at the end of every year. So my sister somehow has become – both my parents have passed away. And my sister has sort of become the sort of family archivist, if you will, of all the stuff. Somehow she got like all the stuff from my uh, childhood and attics and from both my parents' house. And, uh, and so she has all that stuff. So every year I get like a small you know, feed of stuff um, from my childhood. And this year um, she sent me something that's like, I mean, like swept me back to my, my early 80s, late 70s childhood which was so both my parents were uh, in the medical business. Both my parents were registered nurses. My dad ended up getting into the operations side of hospitals and stuff like that. But they were both nurses, and they both, whenever we would get sick, would refer to a Merck manual. Um, and they would pull, and at, when I got this, I pulled it out. It was this old dog eared copy of a Merck manual. And, and for those of you who don't know, Merck manuals are basically the WebMD. Um, back before there was an internet. This was the way that parents and mostly doctors uh, would look up what, what the heck was wrong with you and what the heck you should do about it. And so the it, it, so I got to doing a little bit of research about the Merck Manual, and it turns out 1899, Merck and Company first published a very small book titled The Merck Manual to Materia Medica. And it was basically meant to help physicians and pharmacists basically with their memory. As they said, memory is treacherous. And so it was really compact, really easy to use, comprehensive. And it was a marketing ploy by Merck because every drug that was basically prescribed within the Merck manual was Merck was all in caps. So it was always Merck sort of branded throughout the entire – and, of course, it was called the Merck manual. And it was a way for physicians to always remember that Merck was their source for everything having to do with information about health. Um, as the as the legend has it, even Albert Schweitzer carried a copy to Africa in 1913, um, and Admiral Byrd even carried a copy to the South Pole in 1929. So by the time we get to the 1980s, it was published all throughout history up until the 1980s, and and even then, it was now a it, you could buy it. You could actually buy the Merck Manual in bookstores, and it had been translated into more than a dozen languages, um, and all of that continues even to this day. They now have tr- they've now uh, uh, expanded this. They have the Merck Manual of Geriatrics. They have the Merck Manual of Information uh, for a home edition for parents and for um, consumers. They have the Merck Manual of Health and Aging for older people. They have the Merck Manual for uh, drugs, and it's just this amazing now library of information that they create. There's a whole separate unit now in Merck that just creates all this stuff. Um, and it's basically now even expanded in. There's an iPad app. There's a website, which is all free for people to go use. Um, and it's just a huge thing that's been around since quite literally the turn of the last century. 
And it's just an amazing, I think, example of creating value that is distinct and separate from your product and a wonderful example of this old market. It's interesting that last week we did the J&J one, and this week we have Merck. And yeah. you know what, what? my biggest question on this is, how did it end? Like, did they lose the champion for this internally? And then how did it get re-evolved re into what it is today? Because obviously it stopped, right? You said that it, it died and then it started again. That's right. Well, no, it didn't die. It just, it kind of went out of, it, it just, it's been published continuously from 1899 and really sort of expanded as the 90s came about. Yeah. So, so it was the, really the multi-platform, yeah. the mobile app, the trend, yeah, the online version, all that stuff. Right. That's a very, very amazing example. That's great. It's just a wonderful example. So where, so what's going on with you? Uh, let's see. I'm, uh, we're actually producing this early on monday because i'm headed to new york for my first trip in a long time so uh, i'm speaking i've got uh, a nice little meeting with our friends at wall street journal uh tomorrow and then i'm meeting uh, I'm, I'm speaking at the digital book world event and uh on uh, to a bunch of publishers so <laughs> talk to them Very about nice. content marketing and publishing which you know i love to do so <laughs> Very be nice. doing that. and uh, and how about yourself me, I well, I just so I just got back from last week in New York. Um, I got back on Saturday, so uh, bring your woolies, my friend. It yeah, is cold yeah, there. It is really, really cold. Um, had a great time in New York this week. I am well. The first part of the week uh, on Wednesday, I go up to see the lovely folks at Price Waterhouse Coopers uh, to do a giant workshop to about fifty or sixty of their marketing people that they're getting together for a big event there. I'm sort of really excited to meet all those folks and hear what they're doing from a content marketing perspective. And then on Thursday, my friend, I am out. I am dropping the mic out to Hawaii to help my wife celebrate her 50th birthday. We are spending a long-ish weekend um, and we'll be doing uh, 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 the podcast from Hawaii. So the next time you hear from me, it'll be from Hawaii and um, really just uh, a nice celebration and a, and a way to kick off the new year with a vacation. Well-deserved. Right? So yeah, absolutely. And, and have a wonderful time. <laughs> Uh, safe travels and uh, yeah, it's it's actually in Cleveland here. It's snowing quite a bit here, so we'll. It should be. It's always fun traveling in the winter. So at least, nice. hopefully, yes. if you yeah, get you stuck, you'll that. get stuck in Hawaii. So yeah, <laughs> that would be <laughs> there. Not it is. So bad. All right, all right. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, tweet us up, won't you? We love, love, love getting all those stories and heads up on stories from you on Twitter. So thank you for that. Tweet us up with the hashtag ThisOldMarketing so it makes it easy for us to see it. And, you know, if you want to get all the show notes or take a look at what we're doing here, we've got our own little slice of the web at ThisOldMarketing.com. And you can send us an email at ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com if you're loving the email. And if you like this episode number 61, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links are available on the show notes, folks. Do tune in next week when I'll be in Hawaii and we'll hear Joe say, I'm ready for my drink now. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.